0: This week's guest is Kim Hassarud, who joins us from Phoenix, Arizona. Kim got her start in the industry bartending in New York City in the 90s and has had a very successful career. Kim is a recognized mixologist and beverage consultant. Kim has appeared as a judge on Iron Chef America and made appearances on the Today Show, CBS's early morning show, and she's the author of the best-selling 101 cocktail series of books. This includes such titles as 101 Margaritas, 101 Martinis, 101 Blended Drinks, and many more titles in the series. Recently, Kim has opened up a new bar in downtown Phoenix, named Garden Bar Phoenix. Enjoy the show.
1: Okay, we're back with another episode of the Industry Podcast. My name is Kip. This is Dan. What is going on?
0: Uh, not too much. Just hanging out. Another fun day at work, as usual, and just uh, watching the leaves turn color and fall off everywhere and create more yard work. Yourself, how are things going with you? How's the mayoral race coming along? Well, as, as
1: with anyone's listening to this one, I'm either mayor now or I'm not. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll find out. Yeah. Well, as we're recording, there's a week left in the campaign, so one more debate to go, a lot of canvassing to go, yeah, and the home stretch.
0: Nice. Uh, out of curiosity, any amusing stories from canvassing door to door?
1: Nothing too nuts, actually. I was expecting a little bit, uh, some more... Uh, pushback and stuff? Yeah, more pushback, a little bit more um, insane reaction, some crazy people. But I didn't get... Most people are pretty nice, and like they'll make it pretty clear if they don't want to talk to you, but... No uh, way, really, I've done that before. Lots yeah.
0: of candidates myself. <laughs> <laughs> Out of curiosity, wouldn't you go canvassing door to door? Do you go in the daytime or like in the evenings?
1: It depends what you're trying to accomplish. So if... If I have more time during the day, I'm mostly just dropping off uh, door hangers with my mm-hmm. platform on it. And if it's in the, if I get to go in the evening, usually if you go around six o'clock, then it's more like knocking on the doors and uh, talking to the people individually.
0: Okay, I mm-hmm. was well, curious about that, how that
1: works. Yeah, it's uh, some people are happy to see you, and others not, not as much, so much. Not eh? as much. Yeah. Not as much. <laughs> <laughs> That's to be expected. But anyway, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, we're we're winding it down. I'm Perfect. Well, good luck. Yeah, thanks. Okay, well, this show is not about that. It's nope. about the industry, so <laughs> we should zero in on that. We have a great guest joining us in just a minute, Kim Hasselrood. Who will be joining us from Phoenix. And before we get to that, we should mention, if you like the, what we're doing here on the show, you should subscribe, you should rate, you should review. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can DM us at The Industry Podcast on Instagram, or you can in, email us directly, info at the dot club. That's also where you could reach out regarding sponsorship. Mm-hmm. Zach Hanna, at ZachHanna.co. He does the artwork for the Instagram page. He's amazing. Check out all the stuff he does at his own website. Uh, anything else before we get to our guest? Uh, your own bars. Oh, yeah. I should plug those bars. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Kitchen Waterloo, Sugar Run, uh, we'll be featuring on October 29th uh, for our Halloween party that's going to be the Brown Man Electric Trio doing the entire Thriller record. So that'll be exciting. Brown Man is the touring trumpeter for Jay-Z, Missy Elliott, others. And uh, he was featured on all the Jazzmatazz records in the 90s. So you're going to want to check that out if you're in Kitchener. If you're in Uptown Waterloo, we'll have DJ Nana that same night. DJ Nana, burgeoning artist in the Toronto, Ontario area. So that'll be DJ Nana, Saturday the 29th at Babylon Sisters Wine Bar and Brown Man Electric Trio, Sugar Run. Speakeasy, downtown Kitchener. Wonderful. Yeah, it's pretty good. Okay, enough about that. <laughs> Tim Hasslerud, how are you?
2: I'm great. How are you?
1: We're all right. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks very much. Yeah. How's, yeah. how's,
2: yeah. how's so the weather? Your Halloween party sounds amazing. I wish yeah. I, <laughs> I lived
1: up yeah. there. Uh, ironically, I'm not going to be there either. But <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> But um, uh, so, what's, uh, so you're in Phoenix. You're joining us from Phoenix. And when did you move out there?
2: You know, I've been in Phoenix now for, let's see, it was 2011. So, gosh, 11 11 years now.
1: Oh, wow. And you started in New
2: York? Yeah. So, I I lived in New York, totally going to be dating myself in the 90s. That's where I bartended first. So, I lived there for for 10 years, also worked a little bit in the entertainment industry. From there, I moved to Los Angeles. I was there for... Uh, About another 10 years and then here in Phoenix for the last 11 years. Ooh. Oh wow! So
1: let's talk a little bit, maybe just about the differences that you found bartending, or like I guess you're not you're not still currently bartending. You're more doing uh, writing and shows and consulting.
2: Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I was I had a consultancy for almost 20 years called Liquid Architecture. So I've been open a lot of bars in this country and even outside this country. Right before the pandemic, we did a, a cool project in, in India. But I would say my bread and butter has has like for the past. Ten years been in like the national accounts world, so doing you know beverage program and bartender training and drink development, uh, also drink development for like liquor brands and syrup and puree companies. So I've been I've that's kind of what I spent kind of the bulk of the last twenty years doing. But I just opened up my own craft cocktail bar in downtown Phoenix. Oh wow! Um, cool. Yeah, this past December called Garden Bar. PHS, which I'm super excited about because I've helped yeah. open up so many bars, and this is the first time like I get to have my own brick and mortar space, which is pretty cool. It's pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, it's uh, a lot of work though, huh?
2: <laughs> I gotta say, like I've been in operations hell for like. Yeah. <laughs> you
0: know,
2: it is. It is hard. I mean, like you know, you wear all the different hats, you know, and you gotta be, you know, you gotta be the, the boss, you gotta be the marketing director, you gotta be the manager. I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, HR, you gotta be all those things.
1: I know, um, especially when it's a smaller yeah. business, right? Like you're not, you, you, you don't have the dough at the beginning to like hire a team to do this stuff for you. So you're kind of doing it all yourself.
2: That's exactly right. And I think what's even harder is, you know, our space was a 1914 bungalow and it's actually in a neighborhood. Oh wow. And, and so, cool. and it's a mixed use neighborhood. But if you were to like go and drive on our street, you would probably think you're being dropped off in the wrong place because it feels very residential. I mean, oh, really? street lined trees and lots of other like historic houses. But um, but it's a mixed use neighborhood. Lots of other like attorneys and 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 so forth. But because of that, we when we you know uh, going through this whole process has also been a huge lesson in civics for us. Yeah. You know, you realize how much the left hand of the city's not talking to the right hand. And, oh yeah. Gotta jump through a lot of a lot of hoops, but we did have to sign some stipulations. So we have limited like seating and hours and uh, our operations. So that's also been a little challenging, but we're going in front of the city like in another month to get the stipulations removed. So So, yeah. So being a small business, to your point, is like you do have kind of like limited funds that you can play with to like go hire, you know, someone like a marketing director or whatever, what have you. So hopefully that will will, will shift into another gear here like in the next four to five weeks
1: yeah and it's funny that you mentioned that too because the, like mentioning all the sort of restrictions that got put on your place like that's the kind of stuff that you don't find out about until you're already committed that's the shitty part about it right like it's like it's not like some, you can research that in advance and be like okay maybe this spot, spot isn't for us it's like you have found the location you think works it's zoned properly you know you can get a liquor license there and then the city comes and it's like oh by the way <laughs>
2: Yeah. And you know what? It, 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 ironically, it actually wasn't the city. It was just some of the, the neighbors who ironically don't even live in the neighborhood that pushed back. Right. But when, when you know, sometimes when people think bar, oh, their yeah. mind immediately goes to Hooters and, yeah, and yeah. <laughs> drunk people and it's, it's not that kind of place. But, you know, but, but I, I got to say, like, even... I think one one of the big advantages is having limited hours of operation It's allowed us to kind of slow grow like we didn't feel all of this pressure to like you know you go, oh my god, we got we gotta make this nut, we gotta make you know this we so we were able to kind of plan that a little bit more and like kind of figure out oh, you know what that doesn't work it allows us more time and flexibility to kind of tweak
1: right, yeah, that does have its advantages for sure. so what made you decide to move from like consultancy? To- like mostly consulting to just uh, going and diving into your own spot?
2: You know, I always... Eventually, had wanted to open up my own bar, but I, you know, I think I kind of did it backwards because most people get out, you know, they, they open a bar and then they go out to consultancy. and did the opposite, right? Um, and I've just learned a lot, you know, in, in consulting and seeing kind of what works and what doesn't work. And I've always been a really uh, creative person, and then not being able to kind of like really do or or what I want. So for me, it's just this huge creative outlet as well, and also. With our staff, we have a really small bartender staff, which are are all women, and it kind of just worked out that way. But it's been awesome to to kind of mentor them along the way and like the the process, which has been great. So, yeah, I think I, something I always wanted to do, and and I think it's a great little. And I, I got to say too, the space is. It's amazing. It's one of those spaces that you walk into the bar, you walk in, we, as soon as we bought it, we walked into the house and it just feels good. You know space, just the energy and the light, it just feels good. Like the, mm. the windows and the lighting. Um, and I, I, I'd always too wanted to do a space that was kind of the antithesis of most craft cocktail bars. Most craft cocktail bars are a little dark. Mm. They're kind of like dimly lit. <laughs> Um, this is the complete opposite of that. I mean, it feels like you're going to someone's house. So, like, it's a lot of light, a lot of a lot of gardening, a lot of you know growth. Even like the the bar top feels like a kitchen counter, oh, no. um, like a big. So it's it's uh, yeah, and it, it you know we don't have like your typical two top four top seating. It's more like you know the different living rooms with leather couches and coffee tables, and oh, wow. it's just yeah, it's just so it's
1: literally kind of set up like a house.
2: Yes, yeah. yes. Oh,
1: cool. That's a, that's a good idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so let's uh, go backwards a little bit. Uh, so this is sort of where you've ended up, but you've done a whole shit ton of stuff before that. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we'll, we'll try to get to most of it. <laughs> but uh, so you start out in New York and you're bartending there and then you make the move out to LA. At what point do you start doing sort of more of the consulting and getting into writing the books?
2: You know, it's kind of an interesting story. So I was... I worked I moved to New York City to like work in the entertainment industry. So that's what I was doing initially. So I worked in like casting and and did a did a little stint on like a couple of soap operas with within you know, a behind the scenes production. Really loved it, but I was always a bartender to supplement my income and I loved bartending. I mean the money was great. I loved the, you know, creating cocktails and I loved hospitality, you know. We've but, but at the time, it was just kind of, you know, kind of a means to an end. You know, you never really thought about pursuing that as a career. And then I had an opportunity come up and I, I worked for, actually, uh, I worked for one restaurant group that gave me a lot of creative freedom that said, hey, if you want to go and like the walk-in and, and, you know, experiment. And so they allowed me to do that. So I kind of nerded out a little bit. You know, people would come into the bar and say, you know, make me... Make me a you know a a New York summer day cocktail, and I'll be like, okay, and I go raid the walk-in and like you know come up with something. I mean, at the same time, when I worked in the entertainment industry. I was fortunate enough to go to like some movie premieres and the Sundance Film Festival. And was always really blown away when I would go to those events because there was so much money put towards those events. I mean, this is in the nineties. They would spend a million dollars, you know, a couple million dollars on, on a movie premiere, but so much focus was put on the food and the entertainment and the decor, but the drinks were always an afterthought hmm. you know? but, uh, and they never really matched the greatness of the event. Right. And looked around the room, every single person had some kind of drink in their hands. And I was like, you know, if you just put a little more effort into the drinks, you could really enhance someone's experience tenfold. Mm-hmm. So kind of coming from a background of, of using a lot of fresh ingredients, that's initially how I started my consultancy It was in the entertainment industry. So I had a lot of friends that were producers and, uh, you know, I said, Hey, why don't you let me like do, do the bar? And they were like, Oh, cause they you know, would come over and I would do creative drinks. And so, um, kind of got on the radar of, of that and, and started doing some movie premieres and I would hire an art director to come and prop out the bar, like the Batman cave, oh, nice. and, which, which was cool because, you know, a lot of the liquor brands were used to just dropping off product. And not really, nothing was really done creatively with their brands, but I made them look really good. Mm-hmm. And so from that, I started getting some more gigs. Uh, Maxim Magazine was actually one of my first big clients. So actually, I traveled the country with them and did oh, nice. at their big Super Bowl parties <laughs> and had a blast, started working directly with a lot of the liquor brands. And that kind of morphed eventually into them, uh, a lot of the liquor brands hiring me for national accounts and doing bartender training. And so that's kind of what it's evolved into. Yeah, so I've been doing that for, for like 20 years. So I've worked with tons of accounts ranging from, you know, Cheesecake Factory to Darden to Marriott Hotel. I mean, you know, the... A lot and also in the same time i've written a few cocktail books and i've gotten to do some some cool media stuff and, and travel which is just been great it's been awesome so like when you're
1: would you say that basically sort of the secret to your career here that you sort of kind of almost fell into it's not what you really expected to do it just just kind of not saying no to anything and like if something comes up you're just kind of like oh sure i could probably do that and then next thing you know you're working for a liquor company or you're working this party or traveling with maxim
2: You know, I I would say it's it's a little bit of that and that I was kind of on the the front end of that curve when mixology was really starting to take off and I was really creative, you know, but when it comes to something like the books, it's not something like you necessarily fell into. I mean, I one of my one of my sayings that I that I live by is, you know, luck is when like opportunity meets preparedness. Mm-hmm. So I worked really hard, you know, and I, I wrote some book proposals for a different book, but I definitely put in a lot of time, probably a hundred hours, you know, like doing all the research and figuring out, you know, literary agents and how that whole process works. So when I was presented with another opportunity, then I was ready to take that opportunity.
1: Right. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to imply uh, that you, Oh
2: no no no! Uh, yeah. by
1: luck, I just meant like that, like for doing the parties and stuff, it's like, you know, you originally went out to New York to work in the entertainment industry. And next thing you know, you're sort of yeah. bartender to all the parties. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I do want to talk about the book. So what gave you the idea to do the books? And so we did, we're having a conversation before we started recording is, is the like, is the book like Margarita 101, like Introduction to Margarita, or is it 101 yeah. margaritas?
2: People make that mistake all yeah. the time. Yeah. yeah. No, it's it's actually 101 margaritas. Gotcha.
1: So yeah, it's like it's literally a like hundred different kinds of margaritas.
2: Right. Holy right, shit. Right, that
1: must take that must have taken you forever.
2: <laughs> you know, not not necessarily. Um I uh, I had initially written a, a a proposal for a book called Dessert Cocktails, and there were these like I was envisioning this like decadent uh, cocktails, like the tiramisu martinis, yeah. it almost like a coffee table book, really luscious photos. But they didn't go for that. But then they said, "Hey, we're looking for an author to also write this series of books. Do you want to do that?" And I'm like, "Oh,
1: okay, yes. nice." Oh, so, okay.
2: And they were, it was one of those things where they wanted uh, an author to write a book that they could sell with a lot of merchandise. So like at Sir La Table, at Crate and Barrel. So if they have 101 Margaritas book, they could have like their margarita glassware and like their different tools to make margaritas or salts. So we did that with like 101 Margaritas, 101 Martinis. 101 tropical drinks, 101 blender drinks. So I did like a whole series of eight different books.
1: Ah, that's smart, actually. That kind of cross-marketing, right? Like, yes. <laughs> yeah, those yes. guys know what they're doing.
2: and yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, like, and and you know, I am I, a huge proponent of like fresh ingredients. I go to my farmers markets, I go to my produce markets. And really the my process was like I would just go find like fresh seasonal ingredients and then build a margarita around them. Mm-hmm. If you start with like really good ingredients like that, it becomes easy,
1: right? And it's funny that's a, it's an interesting way to attack the drink too, because I think a lot of people start when they say, okay, I'm going to make a, a margarita or a, a new style of margarita, play on a margarita, however you want to say it. Like they start with like, okay, I'm going to have tequila, I'm going to have cointreau, like start that way. But you're more like coming at it from let's get the fresh ingredients first, and then somehow make that into a margarita.
2: Right. Right. Yeah. I'll figure out the stuff that goes that goes best with those ingredients. Right.
1: right. That, I like that. Um, so when you you've done a lot of TV appearances, you were mentioning previously. Uh, like what. So which part because you, your career has spanned so many different kind of cool areas. Like what part of your career was it the the book writing or the consulting or like how did you get on these shows?
2: You know, I got to say, like writing a book, even though book writing, um, at least the books that I did, there, it's not a huge profit center. It's not like you can make a living off that. It's a, it's a nice little little chunk of change. But I think in a lot of people's minds that it gives you, that's a, that's a great tool to use for media. It's a great tool to use to get on to different shows or do different appearances or different radios or different podcasts. Right, (laughs) Uh, it's it's, a it's a great tool to get your name out there. Right. So I would say, you know, I think, I mean, I would give that advice to anybody. Like, if you can kind of create something that can be shared, I think that is a it's it's a great it's a great branding tool and it's a great tool to to get you out there
1: and uh, so that's sort of the whole name of the game these days right like you mentioned with all these different avenues of, of promote of potential promotion for you and then whether it's podcasts or tv yeah. or radio or whatever the hell it is like basically if you have all these different things that you're doing the consultancy the book authoring the training sessions whatever it is you can kind of plug them all if you can just get on an outlet to plug them right <laughs>
2: Right, right, right. No, yeah, I think that's. I think that's exactly right, and I think that really did a lot of wonders. For definitely helped my career along as far as like getting getting noticed and getting contacted, and led to other jobs too.
1: Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming you've done lots of traveling through this consultancy, and you're mentioning that you were doing the. Uh, you just done the bar in India. So when you're out there, talk to us a little bit about some of the coolest spots you've been to, and maybe some of the more challenging spots when it comes to opening a bar for whatever reason.
2: Yeah, you know, I've, I've really, really been fortunate in my career to have have been able to kind of travel and actually judge a lot of competitions. I judged, you know, Diageo World Class, and I've been a judge for the Bombay Sapphire Most Imaginative Competition, which took me to places like London. And I got to, you know, uh, it, what's fascinating to me about London is when, you know, mixed this kind of in the early 2000s, oh my God, London was terrible for cocktails. I mean, it was just, it was, it was like they had great pubs, but the cocktails was not at all, you know, um, very, very, very behind the U S but I would say it, it took about maybe seven to 10 years and now they are way ahead. It's fascinating some of the things that they can do and what they're doing. I think they're, they're given a lot of resources and, you know, here in the U S with a lot of the restrictions with liquor brands, it doesn't, you know, you're uh, it's, it's just harder to do um, what they can do there. So I think that it's a, that's a super exciting spot to be. I you know, would love to go to like Singapore, which I haven't been to. Uh, but, you know, I, some of, as far as like difficulties of, of opening a bar, I think, the language barrier and, and really understanding their culture. You know, we did, uh, in working with national accounts with like PF Chang's, for example, we looked at, you know, a while ago doing some cocktails for Brazil and their cocktails, their palate, people like drinks to be a lot sweeter. So I was coming up with something that was about, I would consider to be a balanced cocktail and, you know, their, their global person is like, no, 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 it needs to be a lot sweeter than that. It needs to be like strong and sweet. And he made me uh, some of their like classic cocktails. And I'm like, wow, they would never like this here. Right. But you, gotta, you have to understand like the culture and their palate, how different it is in the US. And I think so that's something that you kind of have to to really consider and and going there and really understanding what people are drinking and and why. So I think that's an important factor, but also, you know, we take for granted here in the, uh, in the U S how easy it is for us to get ingredients. And we have just a world of of global ingredients at our fingertips. I mean, I can go on Amazon, and order blue algae, you know, I can do all of these great things and you cannot do things like that in India. So we, You know, one, one thing that I really took for granted was even just citrus, like lemon and lime juice Mm -hmm. is very expensive there. So we really had to look at, you know, maybe doing some acids instead, you know, as another way to get, to get that. So, you know, understanding like what's available there, what's not available and really kind of working within the toolbox that you have. Like Mm -hmm. you should never go to a country thinking like, okay. Here's the menu that I'm going to bring to them because it's never going to work out.
1: (laughs) Right. That's interesting. So it's kind of so it's challenging in that respect because you can't just like have sort of your set menu of go to Mm -hmm. drinks that you can bring somewhere and be like, okay, you can use two, seven and eight. And over here, they'll use three, five and nine. But also, it's kind of great for you who's a creative person who likes to do creative things because you're kind of forced to be creative based on dealing with what's available to you.
2: Right. And I think, I think my, my experience with national accounts has really helped with that because I always have to play in their toolbox. Right. You know, it's kind of like how creative, you know, here, here's our sandbox. Here's the tools that we have in our sandbox. Here's the type of sand that we have be as creative as you can be within this sandbox. So it's kind mm-hmm. of the same, a little bit of the same mentality and that you have to kind of come to them and be creative and, and the little set in world that you have.
1: Right. Yeah. That's funny because like I've had to do a much smaller amount of that. And I always get like frustrated because I'm just like, I'm not as creative as you. So I'm just like, I'll get frustrated with having like being my hands tied behind my back with what I can use. And I'm just like, fuck, I just can't do it. So it's kind of interesting for someone who's creative as you are, where you that kind of gets your juices flowing a little bit because it's like a challenge to overcome.
2: You know, it it is. And I I, I think it's also... Is it like, you know, and you kind of have to hang your ego at the door, you know, like, is this a drink that I would drink? Not necessarily, but is it a drink that they would drink? Probably. And is it good enough?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: That's a question you got to ask.
1: (laughs) I like that. I'm interested, too, in the notion of, like, obviously the restrictions of what ingredients you can get when you go to a certain spot. But I also... I never really thought before about the the other part of this that you mentioned, where it's like, what do they actually like to drink there? Because you know, like we're all people, but people are different all over the world. So I, it's never something I would have had to think about before. So what in in all the places that you've cha- uh, traveled, what was there a specific country where it was like maybe most challenging or most uh, uh, you had to get even more creative to kind of meet the needs of the culture?
2: You know, hmm, I would say. I mean I mean out of all the places I've been to I mean India was definitely the the most challenging both culturally and from an ingredient perspective I mean there was so many things to to consider I mean even things like you know they all you know they have kind of big dreams and visions of what they wanted their program to look like but even something like iced. Oh
1: yeah yeah <laughs> very
2: hard <laughs> right. very hard to do and so you know when we we're like, you know, we were showing them how they could make like their own like large format ice and this ice chest. And but the amount of time. But, you know, labor is really, really cheap. So they didn't mind putting in six hours of prep time. You know, mm-hmm. like that wasn't as big a deal as it is here. Right. Um, so there's some, some things that made it a little bit easier. We had a lot of people at our fingertips to kind of help put the program together and do do different roles but yeah, ice was a big one. Citrus was a big one. And I, you know, as far as like the, the spirits go, I thought it was kind of interesting. Like scotch was really popular there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like I would see another thing that I thought was was kind of funny was, you know, they, they had the botanist there, which was kind of new here yeah. at the time. And I'm like, wow, out of all the things like, that you don't have you got the botanist there <laughs>
1: that's, that's I, it's cool. got to like, be the influence from scotland right because like it, yeah they, maybe they that yeah.
2: actually great point great
1: yeah point. I, but that's funny i wouldn't have guessed that either but right. I, I, the only reason i know that indians like scotch is because of emerald fusion right the bits mm. uh, which is like only became sort of known to us maybe like 10 years ago or something like that in north america when it won like jim miller's award in his whiskey bible or whatever so yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure they paid for it but, but but uh i i i bought that i like i love that spirit actually i think it's delicious but that was my first introduction to the fact that oh they like like they like single malt whiskey in india okay yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I mean the other piece too that is that you know because i'm a woman and kind of having to kind of go through that barrier too. We d- did a project in, in South America once too, where, you know, like after a certain time, you know, it was like, you don't want to be by yourself. So having to have like an escort, you know, to, to take you back. Oh, right. Just the culturally, culturally of having someone in the West, you know, come there at the same time. I think that, you know, on the one hand, I think they wanted someone from the West to come for that reason, because the West brings kind of innovation, mm-hmm. but at the same time, there's a, there's a lot of other hurdles we'll and we'll a lot push, of other we'll
1: pushback um, for yeah. Yeah, yeah, a
2: lot of other pushback. So yeah, you know, that like, was something. Who's that, this
1: gringo showing me how to run? my yeah. <laughs> yeah. um, yeah. Well, so uh, what, what when it comes to the training aspect of it, talk to us a little bit about some of the challenges of like going to another country and like training their staff, especially if there's a language barrier.
2: Well, here's here's the here's the interesting thing about training. Every place that I've been to has embraced it oh, that's good. way more than here in the U.S. I feel like here here in the U.S., a lot of bartenders, you know, they they kind of have a little more say and a little more freedom. Whereas there, they are jumping at that chance for education and oh. and mentorship and training um, in a way that that I'd haven't experienced here. So they are like soaking up every word that you say and are putting it to practice and one approval which i i think so i think the training even with the language barriers them just watching you i think is is was really great i've had i had great experiences with the training
1: oh that's good yeah yeah i guess that makes sense right because they're not having you out there unless they want to learn like what right. like why pay for it right whereas here in the in north america it's like somebody gets a job at your spot and they're just like you don't even know how seriously they're taking it maybe it's just something they want to do while they're putting themselves through school or right. whatever right and those are yeah. the really those are the fucking challenging people to train let me tell
2: you
1: yeah because <laughs> yeah. they don't want the knowledge uh, I've discovered that I recently, recently opened this wine bar and like trying to get wine knowledge across to people who are only semi-interested in the wine, but mostly interested in having a employment. <laughs> oh, God.
2: <laughs> it makes a huge difference when you have people that, that are there because they want to be there versus just, I'm just here for a job. You know, right. we I used to have such challenges, you know, with with union properties for that reason, you know, we did a, a project in, in New York City at, at a union property and even something like cracking an egg. I mean, it was just like, well, we need to get approval from the union. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? Like, and, it, they just want, you know, and they just wanted to push back on anything and they, they had the ability to do that and just makes it harder.
1: But so did you have any culinary training as well? Because it seems like just the way you describe how you go about making your cocktails uh, from we talked to a lot of people who came from the back of the house first and then ended up front of house. And the way you describe how you do your your, your sort of creative process reminds me of someone who came from the back of the house to the front of the house.
2: You know, I didn't. Uh, I uh, Yeah, but I just was. I just had a lot of people around me when I worked at uh, in New York city, that kind of gave me a lot of leeway and showed me mm-hmm. a lot of techniques. And also this is at the same time when like Dale DeGroff was all, uh, was coming into coming into his own in the nineties, starting to make a splash and also talked about using a lot of fresh ingredients. And so, but you know, I didn't come up in the ranks like with, Having to learn like these cocktail, you know classic cocktail templates and wanting to do things the way they did in the eighteen hundreds. I kind of like to kind of break those rules a little bit and just mm. really focus on bringing the great ingredient to life. Right. And I think I've always kind of had that as my as my mantra. Yeah, keep it fresh, keep it simple.
1: Are there any specific uh, books that you that you that sort of helped you along your journey as well? Like we, I mean, there's the classics as well, but I don't know if there are any of them that you specifically sort of read and learned from, or did you just kind of figure it out on your own?
2: You know, it was a a little bit of both, but one, two books that I really loved was, they were like the volumes Mixology 1 and Mixology 2, but it had a lot of different essays in them from Audrey Saunders to Jared Brown uh, about like how to open a bar, the importance of ice. Um, Julie Reiner had one too, but those were really, really good books. The Joy of Mixology 2. Okay. As Regan, such a good book. And I think that was really influential in really kind of thinking about different cocktails and different templates. Yeah. The Journal of the American Cocktail, volume one and volume two. Oh,
1: okay. Cool. I don't think anyone's talked about those books on the show before. So everybody talks about the same ones, right? You always, it's always like Death and Co. and Liquid Intelligence.
2: So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I would say those are like the next generation right. books that has a lot of like really great, cool, techniques which i i love those books too yeah i would say yes uh, the journal of the american cocktail volume one and volume two so this is you know this this came out in like 2007 so and it was really all about you know the importance of ice and you know the the right height that a bar needs to be and the stools and how far away they need to be and the importance of like a footrail and all of those things so if you're ever looking to like open up a, a bar i would highly highly recommend those
1: come out are great it's much better than the way i went about it which was fuck a bunch of shit up and then try to be better for the next one right. <laughs> just everyone's slightly better <laughs> but still but still constantly making mistakes <laughs> uh, that's funny okay uh so well t- thanks a lot for giving us your time here this was super fascinating maybe tell our listeners where they can follow you and find out about what you're up to next and and how to get to your bar when they're in phoenix
2: yeah so you can go to i recommend a couple of different handles i have my personal handle which is at k hasarud and i have two a's in my name so k-h-a-a-s-a-r-u-d or follow my bar at garden bar phoenix all spelled out on instagram uh we are in downtown phoenix we're only like five minutes from the airport in the south roosevelt district on um right on sixth avenue so come come check us out we'd love to love to serve you a couple of couple of great
1: cocktails yeah well it sounds like a super cool place i hope you can deal with these neighbor issues and get to some regular hours it looks like it sounds like you're about ready for it now so (laughs) yeah anyway thanks again kim we really appreciate you giving us uh, the time this evening and best of luck going forward with all i'm sure you're going to be up to some more exciting stuff soon so we'll we'll stay tuned and follow you
2: Well, thank you so much, and um, good luck to you too. Um, Fingers crossed that you're that by the time people hear this that you are mayor.
1: That I am mayor, right? Thanks very much. I appreciate it. All (laughs) right. Thanks, Todd. Thanks, Kim. Have a great night.
2: Thanks.